0: It's time to say hello to Marshy. Join us on Facebook Live because it's time. Ty- yeah, we've got some serious stuff to do. I tell you what, he's not listening, so I guarantee you, when he talks about killers of the Flower Moon, we're going to have this whole rant about how it's three hours long. Anyway, now he can hear me. Hello, James. How are you today?
1: Oh, hello. Yes, I can hear you now. Finally. Yeah, he couldn't uh, hear me before. Gosh.
0: No, no, three hours, blahdy blah de blah will not get yeah. those back, but blah-de-blah, it was quite good. Don't need to do it, though.
1: There you go, and I'll see you next
0: week. <laughs> Try the beef. Right, so what are we doing? Join us on Facebook Live, really cool to hear from you, as a rule. <laughs> what are we doing? Okay, well, the big
1: one this week is Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, the one I've starring Leonard. The one I've just been talking Yeah, the one, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a long movie let's get that out of the way up front but we will talk about that we'll talk about the movie uh a bit later on also did you, did you mention uh, that it
0: was quite long
1: just, mm, just in case you
0: forgot i'll
1: be i'll be It'll be, it'll be even longer than my review of it, if you let me. <laughs> <Yeah. 'Cause>, uh, <laughs> which will just go on and on and on. Bring it on. Uh, we've also got uh, German drama, A Af- Fire. We've got Chinese uh, thriller, Under the Light. Yep. Uh, we've got American time travel slasher, totally killer. Uh, but I thought we would start off
0: by talking about Beckham. Hey, is it going to be a ballerina assassin? A time traveling slasher versus a ballerina assassin last week? Now that I would watch. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Anyway. Who are wouldn't yours? it just <laughs> All right.
1: Um all right, so yeah, Beckham is a new four-part documentary series on Netflix which dropped sort of a week or so ago, and I wasn't really planning to uh make it a priority at all, but then I heard the initial buzz was actually it's quite good. All right. So I thought I'd give it I'd give it a watch, and there's some decent stuff in there, not least the fact that for the most part, that whole first sort of section, you know, where he becomes kind of an instant sensation and then is demonized by the British public just as quickly, is a real sort of microcosm, time capsule, if you like, yeah. of my years at university in back, in 90, back in the UK, late 90s back in the UK. You know, so the soundtrack is great. It's got a real sort of Brit pop soundtrack of all the bangers all the classics there and it just captures the mood of a country spice Girls, and of, i
0: guess i'm assuming
1: of well of of course yeah. you know the spice girls sort of came up alongside bex and uh, and then obviously posh and bex became quite the thing um so all of that is in there yep. and you, you actually forget what a sort of roller coaster of a time he had particularly in those early years uh you know this is all told it should be pointed out with you know complete cooperation from the beckham estate from the beckham family you know they are they are in it giving new interviews all the way through uh director fisher stevens the actor fisher stevens yeah most recently seen in succession is behind the camera and, uh, you know, has a kind of ongoing dialogue with whomever is in front. And he's like following Beckham around the house. You know, he meets with the kids. Obviously lots of conversations with Victoria. And they get a number of, uh, pivotal characters from his past. You know, Alex Ferguson, not least, you know, Rio Ferdinand, other members of the England squad and the man you squad. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is quite, is quite, uh, Say again. active. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Right on. I think that's about right. Oh, I no, think no, it's no, right no. enough. Yeah, that yeah. him basically. Yeah, super sub. And super um <laughs> <laughs> and you know by and large it's I thought it's really really entertaining, you know. It it's all about those early days where as a young man, he became you know part a regular fixer in the Man United squad. Uh he scored that great goal from the halfway line, you know, some sort of first day of the season in what the 95, 96 season or something like that. Where it immediately put him on the map. Mm. Uh, you know, within a year or two he's he's playing for England. And then he gets sent off in that game against Argentina at the World Cup in France in ninety eight. Uh, which we went on to lose on penalties and crashed yeah, out in the Beck. second round, and and the country turned on him, and you get his you know his recollections of all of that and him talking about it now, and you can see it still really bothers him. It really
0: troubles him. It's interesting you say that. You know, you use the word demonised. I mean, throughout all of these years, Br- Brits are just a. You know what I mean? But we are the worst. Throughout all of these years, when you see him, you think he's nothing but the nicest bloke who does really nice things, decent things. And. Well, that's, I think, yeah, yeah exactly.
1: That's why there is this mentality to, you know, knock him down because he is. Uh, you know, a very wealthy, successful, good-looking guy who married a Spice Girl and was clearly, you know, a g- great football player. And there is a lot of sort of jealousy and spite in there is? But that is fueled, fueled by the British tabloid.
0: The British tabloids is like nothing more than you know, bring him up, knock him down. Some of. pikey sitting on a couch who duffs his wife up. He's 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 getting stuck into David Beckham. Exactly. And th- and a lot of this was going on before social media. Like, imagine what it would have been like oh gosh. if yeah.
1: You know, tw- Twitter and all the rest of it if people could literally direct message him and say I hate you. Yeah. You know, it's your fault we're out. I hope you die. And you know, things like that which is what he was getting. And then obviously all there was a whole lot if you remember, there's a whole lot of vitriol very specifically aimed at Victoria Beckham.
0: Indeed.
1: Because she was because she was his girlfriend or wife at the time.
0: Look, are, we, are you a massive football fan going way back? You sound like you know your stuff, but are you, a, like, did George Best get all this nonsense back in the 70s? What? Well, I don't think they were, they had the
1: access to do it or the platform to do it. You know, oh, I don't yeah, think there was that interest, you know, in giving giving out so much sort of vitriol and venom. I think people were, you know, I'm not I don't going to say people were generally much nicer back then. I don't think that's true <laughs> at all. But I think there they, was...
0: They just didn't or something.
1: Well, I think that the public knew less about them. So there was, they were less exposed to the public. Uh, you know, so you saw them, you saw them play if you went to the game, you know, someone like George Best, even you didn't really even see it on TV. So they were kind of out of the public eye. They were kind of a far more abstract entity. Same thing goes with kind of like old Hollywood actors and what have you, you know, their private lives were able to be kept under wraps a lot more because there wasn't the access or the exposure. So you know it's kind of lucky i think in a way that it happened when it happened rather than today if we went through it all today i think it would be even worse sadly because of the uh the increased exposure there is because of social media and what have
0: you this but- is where we need some sport hearing- experts to jump in in a way because you're bringing up some brilliant yeah. points about how it was received the the, the the sort of collective mentality of sports fans armchair sports fan brilliant idea that anyway carry on
1: <clears throat> okay thank you uh <laughs> 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 I, I mean, the most interesting part is hearing all of it fr- firsthand, you know, hearing Beckham sit down and actually go through all of these events one by one. Yeah. You hear from like I mean, his best mate, Gary Neville, is in it a lot. And he talks about how as soon, you know, Victoria was kind of the best and worst thing that ever happened to him, in a way, because obviously they're incredibly happy, you know, and they're, they're still together and they've got a great family. Oh, look, like, It's,
0: it's Yoko impressive. Ono all over yeah. again, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but she was a massive distraction to yeah, him yeah. as at the time when he was, like, the biggest thing in football. And, you know, obviously Sir Alex Ferguson didn't like that one bit. No. And so they kind of, and they get him to talk about it to a degree. I mean, he's not going to really expose how much he sort of hated her or whatever. She talks about it uh but you know, he's far more he 's far more diplomatic and reasonable with what he 's saying.
0: this is so teenager isn't it marsh you know you 've got your best mate and your best mate goes off and get a gets a girlfriend well you firstly you loathe the girlfriend she despises you, and you sort of drift away from your best mate because he 's being human. <laughs>
1: Well, that's it. That's it. And but you realise that you know at the end of the day, that's his job. That's what he's paid to do. And, you know, and if it's if the team is suffering, and if the you know the squad is suffering, and all the rest of it, because he's spending every spare minute he can talking to Bex, They're talking to Victoria, or driving down to London to see her, or flying overseas because right as it was all happening the spice girls were on their massive world tour yeah. as well so they were kind of like ripped apart at the time when he needed her most now you have to you have to kind of put pump the brakes a little bit and be like because this is being told with the complete cooperation of the beckham family um which is nice it's the word it's, i keep inevi- using <laughs> it's inevitably going to be somewhat hagiographic you yeah, know yeah, it's yeah. going to it's going to go easy on them i mean there is one bit in particular um, which kind of irritated me a little bit, where you see the cracks of, of the facade of, of what this story is, which was when he was in Real Madrid. You remember he, he moved to Real Madrid after Ferguson had had enough with him. He sort of sold him, got rid of him. And, um, then rumors popped up while he was in Madrid and, uh, Victoria was still in London. They would had an affair. They had been, you know, he'd been, you know, playing away, so to speak. Playing away, quite <laughs> literally. And um, and they talk about it and the impact that those allegations made and that the scandal made and how what a difficult time it was for the couple for the family. But at no point during the documentary does Fisher Stevens, the director, ask him, "Was it true?" Ah, uh-huh. you know they they just they talk just about the fact that yeah the you know it it really sort of uh, you know rocked their world and all the rest of it and uh, yeah it. it it was touch and go for a minute and obviously the public exposure of all of that. And somehow it was all Victoria's fault. This kind of thing that she hated Spain, the Spanish media turned on her because she wouldn't move over immediately and all this kind of stuff. And just how stressful it was. But at no point does Fisher Stevens actually ask David Beckham, was it true? Well, doesn't that answer the question, I suppose? Well, perhaps, perhaps, but you think if you're going to, if you're going to do the whole thing and in other areas They really are quite intrusive and vulnerable, you know, and they come across as quite vulnerable. And he does push them on difficult questions. That was the one time, and I was like, Come on, you've got to ask him. You're you're in the room talking to him about (laughs) the whole thing. And he's he's sort of in tears going, Oh, yeah, it was a really difficult time. It was like, Well, did it happen or not? Or was it just that the rumors hurt and he couldn't prove his innocence? Anyway, yeah. um, So, in that regard, you know, it is what it is. It is entertainment. You know, he is opening himself up, but. Clearly, there are limits, um, but I generally he comes out of it very, very well, and you feel that, like you said, he's he's just an all-round nice bloke who's done obviously great things for football. He he's transformed for good or ill. He's completely transformed what a uh, a celebrity athlete is and can be. He was really the first one to get all of those endorsements outside of the sport. I mean, people had like adidas or nike deals or whatever but he went completely brill cream uh you know um i can't remember which car brand it was but all of these other things yeah but but i remember brill cream he completely reinvented brill cream which was seen as something your granddad used really was and and then he made it he made it sexy again um and it's and so you've got all of that and he just became such a phenomenon and it chronicles it all pretty well and goes right up to the present day right up to him uh, you know, launching into, into Miami and bringing Messi in and, you know, right up to like this season. And uh, so, yeah, by and large, I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty
0: fascinating stuff. Did it leave you with that weird feeling that I always get when I talk to people like Tim Huxley about motor racing drivers? You know, turn back the clock. Lewis Hamilton. He's been talked to as an elder now, a mentor. I mean, you just go back a few years, Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton. And then all of a sudden the guy, it, it just changes. It's kind of weird. It was. It represented certain parts of our lives, as you say.
1: Well, absolutely, and I'm exactly the same age as as David Beckham as well, which I think adds a little bit to it as okay. well. Spitting so, and it. to see, and to see that here, you know, I know, right? Yeah. We're, it's uncanny. It's uncanny. Except how that's how not brilliant cream, like It's lard, other. right? It's yeah. It's I don't know. It's something seeping from my scalp, but it's all natural. Um, but no, suffice suffice to say that. It is kind of a slightly daunting seeing him as sort of this elder statesman of of the sport, you know, who's been out of it for some time now. And he's now not, you know, he's not in management, but he's in ownership. You know, he's he's doing the same thing that uh, Ryan Reynolds is doing at Wrexham, basically. Um, So it is kind of uncanny. and, And you do see him. At home, and they've got this huge, obviously, sort of farmhouse estate in in the UK, and he's he's got his beehives. The, the show starts; the does first he, scene, you think, wear, yeah, go on, He does first scene, the first scene. You're like, what's going on? Is that a hazmat suit or something? And he's walking out to his to his uh, apiary uh, in in full on beekeeper gear, and he's like, oh, this is brilliant. We're making our own honey, and you're like, really, David? Is this what we're going to be walks talking
0: past about? the Land Rover? <laughs> well,
1: yeah, fly, the three Land fly Rovers. fishing.
0: It's weird, though, isn't it? It truly really
1: is. Yeah, so he's really kind of embraced this sort of elder country gentleman lifestyle. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's. I mean, it's obviously very uh, enviable and aspirational, but it's also, it's an interesting direction that he's gone in. Well, there you
0: go. As I mean, a, the only thing you've really uh, pulled up on just me. was the, uh, the, the, the did you or did you not do it? And and journalists could go off on a roll about this. Is it important to this particular piece of work? Yes, he should have. Anyway, mm. big conversation there. Join us on Facebook Live if you want, especially if you're a sports fan, but he's just finished that one, so don't. What's next?
1: I have. I have just finished that one. Let's very quickly do Totally Killer, uh, which is a new American slasher film on um, Amazon Prime, actually, yeah. uh, which is basically a, cr- a cross between uh, sort of Halloween and Back to the Future. It stars uh, Kernan Shipka as small-town uh, high school girl Jamie and thirty five years ago her small town was rocked by the sweet sixteen killer who uh, over the course of a week murdered three high school girls uh, who all on the uh, who all turned sixteen by stabbing them sixteen times right. and then the killer disappeared thirty five years later. the Aha. killer reappears reappears to kill the fourth member of that high school clique who is jamie 's mom uh played uh I can't remember who, who plays her actually. Uh, so his, her mum gets murdered. Now, fortunately, and this is where because of the the movie kind of stumbles a little bit. Her best mate has built a time machine. Oh yes, <laughs> of course she has. So, so yeah, well, exactly. Not enough <laughs> is is his uh, time is spent on. Wait, what? How how does that work? But then you look at Back to the Future, and that's never really explained either. You know, he talks about the flux capacitor and one point twenty-one gigawatts.
0: And we're so still that. talking about it thirty years later.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is not Back to the Future, but it has the same kind of idea. So basically, she travels back in time thirty-five years to that same week when all those girls were being murdered. Uh, meets up with her uh, her sweet sixteen-year-old mother, yep. only to discover that her her mum is the nastiest piece of work in the whole school and is like queen of the bullies. So there's a bit of Heathers in there as well, which is one of my favorite high school movies, where you've got these, these you know this gang of four girls who are just the absolute worst. Yeah. And uh, Jamie has to kind of win them over while also trying to solve the murder and find out who the killer is, the masked killer is and and get home uh in time so it's you know it's got a little bit of it's got a bit of scream in it it's very self-referential it's very knowing about the genre of slasher movies it's obviously got a lot of back to the future in there not only is she traveling back in time 35 years but she is meeting up with her parents when they are the same age does it address
0: the same old shoot your granddad nonsense
1: well she it does in as much as jamie has seen all those movies and she's like She's like, well, according to the laws of Back to the Future, you know, this is what happens. (laughs) Yeah. And she's running around. And because obviously it goes back to 35 years. So it's 1987. So Back to the Future is a thing for all of these high school kids. So some of them have seen it, some of them done, but it's not quite as smart as it wants to be or that it needs to be. Perhaps it's not rubbish. It's quite, it's sort of diverting, but considering all of the uh, things that it's drawing from in terms of horror movies. And sci-fi movies, you know, at a time when there are films like Happy Death Day and Freaky and other movies like that doing similar things that are around at the moment, uh, this is not the best example.
0: Is it quietly parodying itself? Do you think, or is it definitely not?
1: Well, it's it's kind of parodying the whole thing, but in order to do that well enough, you also have to be good in your own right. You know, you can't just be. A Mickey take of everything else. You have to also be quite good. Otherwise, you're just one of those silly spoof movies. And this isn't trying to be like sort of a naked gun type spoof movie where they're just riffing on cliches from other movies. This is trying to sort of exist and stand on its own two feet as well. But that's where it sort of wobbles.
0: All right. Sit tight, Marshy. Go and let's put the Marshy filter on. Go and have a cup of tea. Join us on Facebook Live if you'd like to have a chat with James. Say what you think. Uh, Obviously, the big one. Right. Obviously, no sports fans listen to this programme. Oh. Why would they? Why would they? no idea. Well, because we've got Danny on in 30... Well, that's why they're... they're, they're Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: Exactly, it's the calm before the film. They're all making tea. I get it. All right, then, what do you want to do? Well, let's do Killers of the Flower Moon, which is the new film from Martin Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, sharing the screen, you know, his two great leading men sharing the screen finally under his direction. They have been in a movie together before, This yeah. Boy's Life, way back in the day, and it was actually De Niro that put Scorsese onto DiCaprio in the first place. Yeah. But here they are, going toe-to-toe. Um This is uh adapted from the True Crime book by David Graham, of the same name, and is about the... Os- Osage Indian murders of the 1910s to the 1930s in Oklahoma. Yes. So this is a real story and all of these characters being portrayed here are were real people. Uh essentially what the story was is uh the Osage Nation, Osage Native American tribes came down from sort of Missouri and other areas, uh occupied this very Barren stretch of arid plain land in Oklahoma Mm. uh, that, and and they were granted ownership of it. So they were from the Cherokee, I believe it was. So they owned the land outright, only to then discover that they were sitting right on top of huge oil wells. They, They actually built the reservation on top of oil and became incredibly rich. I mean, people were saying that the Osage were, per capita, the richest people in the world at that time, in, like, the
0: 1920s. Cue nasty white guys,
1: basically. Cue nasty white guys who came in going, ''I want a piece of that.'' Uh so they, you know, obviously they implemented the guardianship program, which meant that they weren't really in control of their own money. Uh Also certain members decided, okay, well the easiest way to get our hands on that, get that head rights, get our hands on the money and on the land is to marry into these families. Uh, You know, property was passed down on the female side of the family from mm. mother to daughter to, to granddaughter. So if we marry these women, then we can get the head rights. And, you know, there there is an issue where sort of arguably, you know, some of these um the these sort of tribes people didn't really grasp the same concept of money as as the the
0: white guys. Or did. greed. Really Not so much money. Or greed. Yeah.
1: Well, they didn't really have use for... They lived very affluently, nice houses, nice cars, dressed very nice, lots of jewels, and what have you. But there was so much money that their, their demands and their needs didn't really expand beyond that. So there was definitely an opportunity for, you know, white men to come in, marry into the family, then the oil companies would come and circle them.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, that led to a lot of murder, essentially. <laughs> Ha-ha. OK. And so what we do is we uh, follow uh, a young man called Ernest Burkhart, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, as he's um, he's just been discharged from the army after fighting in what must be the First World War, I imagine. And um, he heads to Oklahoma to uh, work for his uncle, William Hale, who is known as the king of the Oklahoma- of the Osage Plains. He has set up a nice little fiefdom for himself. And uh, young Ernest comes in and loves his money. And is persuaded to marry into to be one of these guys, to marry into one of these Osage families. Right. And the tar the target is um Molly, played by uh Lily Gladstone, who I had not seen in anything ever before, but is the absolute breakout revelation of this movie. She is phenomenal in this. And going toe to toe with the likes of De Niro and, Di- and DiCaprio, scene after scene after scene, is no mean feat. Um so she plays Molly, who's uh, you know, who is the heir to one of these great fortunes? Uh, her, but he's, he's witness to her three sisters being killed off, her cousins being killed off. You know, everybody around her is, is sort of dying. She herself suffers from diabetes. The insulin that she gets from the local white doctor in town, mm. uh, is, is supposed to be sort of this breakthrough medication that will help her with her diabetes. But she too starts to get sick. Mm. King Hale, as he is known, De Niro's character, <clears throat> talks about the Ice Age as there are sickly people. There are kind, big-hearted people, but they're sickly, you know. And a number of these women die from a wasting disease. <laughs> there are there are no investigations into a lot of these deaths, even if they are clearly at another hand. You know, people are they being gunned down, dumped in rivers, and there's no investigation. It's written down as like accidental or suicide or whatever. So, this turned out to be. One of the first big cases that J. Edgar Hoover's newly formed, wasn't even federal at that stage, Bureau of Investigation, latched onto as uh, you know something that they could get involved in, something they could crack, in order to sort of justify uh, f- you know state funding, federal funding right. for them, for the FBI to really become the FBI, and so eventually it attracts the attention of the Bureau of Investigation. And agents are sent down to start sort of sniffing around. So what you get is you know this sprawling uh, western, essentially sort of modern-ish western. You know, as I said, it's set in the twenties and the thirties, which is something Scorsese hasn't done before. But really, beneath that sort of uh, veneer, it is that, this is yep. th- this is classic kind of crime saga territory you know this is uh scorsese very much in his wheelhouse albeit with this extra added dimension of uh you know it's, it's happening within a closed community a very close-knit community of a very specific uh kind with the osage nation which is something that we haven't really seen on screen before uh let's get this bit out of the way now the movie is 206 minutes long that's three hours and 26 minutes i've seen it twice now and it absolutely flies by i have seen 90 minute movies that feel twice as long as this does um i think a lot of that is to do with the fact that we whether the story is so engaging it's told in such an absorbing fascinating endlessly riveting way you know we are brought in through DiCaprio's character, but very quickly realized you know, he, although he's a pawn in this greater conspiracy, he's a he's a bad guy. He's one of the bad guys. But originally, I mean, I have read the book as well upon which this was based. And what's interesting about the book is the book is told very much from the point of view of the FBI. Yeah, yeah, you know, and everything is everything is laid out almost in sort of journalistic reportage, as you know, this is what was going on on a general basis, and these are the characters that we honed in on, and then we, you know, we cracked the case eventually after all of this time. Um, Scorsese basically they they had a script that kind of told it that way and he threw it all out and was like no we can't do it this way him and dicaprio were like no we need to focus on the osage nation the osage people we need to tell the story from their point of view Mm. so they completely rewrote it and so now it's very much from the point of view of molly and her her family and her community and how these evil white people are essentially colonizing them on it on a person-by-person person basis in order to take their head rights away from them yeah and then it's only about halfway through that the fbi emerge when it really comes to uh you know boiling point and it cannot be it's it's turning into a genocide that cannot be hidden any longer um i you know i thought this was absolutely fantastic i really did i mean i'm a i'm a full-blown scorsese die-hard fan anyway uh, he's the first filmmaker I ever really latched onto in any meaningful way as a teenager, and I've been all in ever since. But the fact that you know he's eighty years old now, and this mm. is like his twenty-seventh film, but there is something so energetic, so sort of youthful, so young in spirit about his style of filmmaking
0: yeah.
1: that you would have no you would have no idea. Uh, and as I said, you know, it's it's yeah, it's three and a half hours long. But we're used to watching sort of long form drama now. We're used to sort of sitting there and binging episode after episode after episode. Yeah, very true. Of uh, you know, and and also those those drama series, they're not structured the way they used to be. Back in the day, TV shows were structured uh, to accommodate people who were coming in blind that day and needed a self-enclosed episode of television, Mm. even if it continued a longer story. That's not the case anymore. Uh, You know, you get entire seasons or miniseries of whatever dumped on you all in one go, and you're supposed to watch it back to back to back to back. So the the episodes don't stand alone as as cleanly and clearly as they used to. And so something like this, you know, it could easily have been a sort of a four-part HBO miniseries. Uh As it is, it was financed by Apple, so it will end up on Apple TV+, and that will be its exclusive home eventually. But they decided, okay, well, we want this to have a, a proper cinema run as well, oh, yeah. and rightly so. I mean, because think about where it's set. It's set on the plains of Oklahoma. It's absolutely gorgeous. There these huge, sprawling vistas. Uh, you want to see it on the big screen, so they've done a deal with Paramount. So Paramount is handling... a a proper, wide, global release. I think it's opening everywhere worldwide this weekend. Uh, Obviously, that will help it qualify for Oscars and what have you. Uh, But also, it just means that we get the opportunity to go out into the cinema and see it as it's meant to be seen. And if you're going to do it, I mean, this is the way to see it, really, because you've got no distractions. You go into the cinema, turn everything off, lights go down, three and a half hours, fly by. Mm Mm-hmm. Um whereas if you're watching it at home on apple t v plus where it will eventually end up, you know everything else is going on around you all the time sure. now there are some people who are, some people who are saying it's three and a half hours i don't have three and a half hours and i completely I completely sympathize with that, and for you, maybe the only option really is to wait until it 's on apple t v and it and it like i said it will be there. but if you can spare the time, it is anything but a slog you know this is It's got elements of Goodfellas in there, particularly, uh, but it's, you know, it is this a sprawling crime epic. It's a Western. It's a gangster movie. It's uh, an education on the Osage Nation. And uh, it's also kind of an FBI sort of law enforcement procedural as well. It's got all of those elements in it. And it's by some of the greatest people, The, the cast is, is in, insane as well. You've got John Lithgow, Jesse Plemons, Brendan Fraser, you know, all just sort of popping up for, like, little cameos throughout. It's, uh, it's quite remarkable, considering
0: that this is the work of an 80-year-old oh, well, man. There you go. Fantastic. Right, we've got time for one more, James, so take your pick.
1: OK, then. Well, the one I, I will talk about very quickly is called A Fire. One word, "A Fire," which is a German movie from Christian Petzold, uh, who has, uh, you know, done a number of sort of notable art house hits in the last uh, sort of decade or so, including uh, "Barbara," "Phoenix," "Transit," and "Undine" from 2020, which is the first part uh, of a kind of loose thematic trilogy, of which "A Fire" is the second. Right? Part. They're supposed to be e- elemental in nature. So "Undine" was very, very much about water. Uh, it was a romance that took place in and around the, the, the canal system of Berlin. Uh, and I quite liked it actually, despite, despite what I thought. Uh, this one is very much a, about fire. Uh, it's a group of people, uh, who come together to stay at a sort of a holiday home, uh, it on the sort of German coast. And there are forest fires that come to sort of encircle their house and sort of trap them within. You've got. The main character is this guy called Leon played by Thomas Schubert who is a an author and he's trying to finish his second novel. His first novel was quite successful. His second one is going very very badly. And even his his editor agent is telling him uh this sucks essentially. You've got to completely rewrite it. You know, but he's very self-involved in his process. You know, he needs peace and quiet. He needs time alone. You know, he he needs uh, all of those very sort of pretentious things that some artists uh feel that they need uh, others to uh, indulge them with. Mm. Him and his mate Felix go, go off to this sort of country home, only to discover, and it's owned by Felix's family, only to discover that there is a young woman, Nadia, played by Paula Beer, uh, already staying there. Uh-huh. It's, a miscommunica- it's a miscommunication between the family. She's supposed to be there. She's allowed to be there. Felix takes it and it's stride to get okay. But Leon, our pretentious writer, protagonist, can't really handle it and, and immediately sees it as sort of as an invasion of his per- personal space, especially when... Paula, I mean, so Naja, who works on the beach nearby, hooks up with a local lifeguard and starts bringing him back uh, in the evenings, and they're quite noisy at night. I and so Leon see. can't get Leon, who is so precious, can't get his sleep either. And so this this interesting kind of combative dynamic starts to uh, unfold between them. Uh, and it's it's interesting because I can't remember the last time I saw a film where the central protagonist is so unlikable. he's just he's just so obnoxious so pretentious uh and yet he's he's the guy that we have uh hooked our wagon to as it were in this movie and the movie is, is very much about him just you know his undoing his unraveling him coming to the terms with his own sort of pretentiousness and insecurities and limitations of his artistry and his creativity um I actually quite liked it. It's one of those films might. that it's, you know, not a great deal is actually happening, but yeah. it's all about just the, char- the character interactions Slow and moves. spending a bit of time, spending a bit of time with them. Uh, as I said, and there is this sort of permanently encroaching threat of forest fire threatening to sort of engulf them all at any moment. Um, so that's, that is also out. That's called A Fire, and uh, it's actually pretty good. And it's quite darkly humorous. We do laugh in the face of Leon pretty consistently throughout. Brilliant. Quick reminder of what we did today. Okay, that's A Fire by Christian Petzold. There is also the Beckham documentary on uh, Netflix and totally killer slasher time travel movie on Amazon Prime. But if there was any doubt in your mind... I don't think there is anymore. The absolute (laughs) must-see this week is Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, all three and a half hours of it, in the cinema this weekend.
0: Brilliant job. Take care. James Marsh back next week.